open your copy of God's Word this morning, and we all have our hearts open before the Word of the Lord. We're in 1 John this morning, so if you find the end of your Bible there, the maps, and then the, the concordance there, and then turn from Revelation, go backwards about five books, and you'll find 1 John. You know, Revelation, Jude, and the three epistles that John wrote to the church in Ephesus, where he once was pastor. Now, when I was planning this sermon series last fall, and just thinking about the scope and the sequence, how do you go through all the attributes of God? How do you teach that? How do you preach that? And what text do I use? You know, I, I began to think, well, now, wait a second. What's going to happen on Mother's Day? What happens on Father's Day? What happens on July 4th, Patriot's Day? Is there an attribute that really is fitting for those days? It's not so much that it's because God is like our moms or our dads or our governing leaders, he's definitely not like them, amen? But, but they should be like him, right? They, they should model for us and teach us and nurture the faith in us. And we definitely need godly-fearing leaders like him too, amen? Uh, God-fearing leaders that do what God says, that would be very helpful as well. But, but today as we celebrate Mother's Day, and we recognize the high calling that moms have and, and the privilege they have just to not just bring life uh, forth, but also to nurture and train children and, and to help kids to discover how God made them. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and that he, before he even wove them together in their womb, he wrote all their, book, all their days in a book. And, and they're going to live every single one of them. And then to inspire and encourage those children to live and become all that God desire in their hearts. Moms, they're such a privilege to have that. And and mothers are just the nurturers. They're the ones who really have the, the first step, step and first opportunity to teach us about God's love. And so I thought, you know what, this is the attribute we'll discuss today. And we'll examine in God's word that God is love. Now from an early age, hopefully, our moms poured in us this amazing truth that we know from John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John wrote about that uh, in that discussion Jesus had with Nicodemus over in John chapter 3. But here in his epistle, he speaks about the theme of love all throughout the epistle. And, and he speaks about truth as well. And, and those two things are quite important in the household of God. And, and the problem today and why this is important to understand that our God is a God of love is is this is the most emphasized attribute that you'll find in Christendom, but it's also, frankly, the most misunderstood. You say, how could someone misunderstand the love of God? I mean, how could we misunderstand that God demonstrated that love toward us? Well, here's how we misunderstand it. When we emphasize it and don't emphasize the other attributes. Or when we try to understand it without the backdrop of all the other attributes that we have been studying. You see, here's the difficulty. Paul told the church in Ephesus, by the way, that's where John's writing this epistle. Uh, he, Paul pastored there, he worked there, he served there. John served there later and, 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 and served uh, and, and led them uh, as, as a pastor. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus over in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, this is my desire, that, that as saints, as the people of God, as the children of God, that we might be able to, to comprehend what? what is the width and the length, the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, listen to this, which passes understanding or which is beyond knowledge, 
and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In other words, you and I, Paul's desire is that you and I would grow in our understanding of the love of God because the height, the width, the depth, the length of it is so great, our minds can't fully comprehend it. Now, now, I need to understand it this morning, and you need to understand that this morning, that part of understanding that height, that width, that depth, that, that, that length that God went to, you stop and you think, in the backdrop of all the other attributes that we've been studying, how great God's love is towards you and to me. The love of God is his eternal and, and, and infinite aspect of his essence that expresses the way he acts, not just within the Trinity, but also how he sacrificially, sovereignly, and passionately demonstrates that essence towards mankind. God is always love eternally. He will always be a loving God. Praise the Lord for that this morning. And we've already discovered that God being eternal, he has no beginning, he has no end. His love is endless as well. It's boundless. It's infinite. We can't understand the height, the width, the depth, the, depth, the length. We can't understand the sheer expression of his love that he shows to us. It's something he shares within the Trinity. Those three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they share that love. And yet God shared it and showed it to this world. He sacrificially did that through Jesus Christ. It's something we celebrate each and every day of our lives. Realizing that we have heard the gospel. And someone has shown us and revealed to us the truth. That we were sinners in need of a savior. And that God supplied that redemption through the blood of his son. The substitute for our sins. Who came and gave himself for us. And that God did that sovereignly. He didn't owe that to anyone in this room. He didn't owe that to the world. He chose to do that. He wasn't obligated to do that. He freely did that for you and for me. And then those of us who have received that love and been loved by God and our lives have been changed, he passionately loves us with an everlasting love, zealous for us, jealous for us. We're always his, even when we don't love him as we ought to. He is an, a love that is never, ever going to separate us. Nothing can separate us from that great love that's in Christ Jesus. You see, all of God's attributes together, when they're studied, there's no conflict in them. That means what we've discovered about God's holiness, about God's righteousness, His mercy, His grace, His justice, yes, even His wrath, all of it must be understood to be in perfect harmony with His love. And when we take that backdrop of all those attributes that we've studied, starting with the holiness of God, that he's holy other and we're not. Amen? All right, for the others that couldn't say amen this morning, that's all of us. The depth, the, 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 the breadth of distance, right, between God is holy and you and me not, that he's spanned. The, the, the righteousness, the just way that he demonstrated his love, that he came and did the right thing so that sinners such as you and me could be saved. So that we could experience his mercy, not getting what we deserve, his grace, getting what we don't deserve, and do it all in a way that is right and is glorious. And then to realize, listen, that even in the midst of that, God still will show his wrath upon those who won't receive his love. This is the expression of God's love towards you and me. And when we stop and we realize the depths, the length, the height, the width, everything that God did for you and for me to bring us redemption, his love is magnified even more. 
And that's why we start with the fact that God is holy. And I'll even show you how John does that in his epistle. But we don't start with God is love and try to work our way to God is holy because you probably will never get there. At least that's what happens in liberal theology. Frankly, that's what's happening in contemporary Christian theology as well. People are starting with love and finding it hard to get to holiness. And the problem is once you start down that slippery slope, what happens is God loves everyone, so he's never going to punish sin. And there's no reason to call out sin. And that's what you see invading churches today. But the truth is this. God being incomprehensible, that means I'll never fully comprehend the love that God has for us. And that should keep me humble. I shouldn't be proud and arrogant that I've been loved by God and I'm somebody. No, no, no. It keeps me humble because I don't understand really all of it yet. But I'm glad I know some of it. Amen. It's love is infinite, no limit. The sheer vastness should blow your mind when you wake up in the morning and realize God loves me today. He loves me with an everlasting love because he's eternal. There's no beginning of him or end of him. And so his love must be the same. And yet it's a holy love. He's holy other and it's a pure and spotless love. Why? Because of what Christ did for you and me at Calvary. I mean, how can we be cold and indifferent as the people of God who've been loved by him? When we really understand his love. We can't. There's no room for that in our hearts. There's no room for that. In obeying the great commandment that now, because we've been loved by him, we owe him that, that, that supreme commandment to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so to avoid this problem of starting with the love of God and trying to figure out how to work to the holiness of God, to avoid cold and indifference in our hearts, to, to avoid going down that slippery slope and, 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 and maybe even being guilty as this church in Ephesus was. I'll, I'll point that out as well from one of John's letters. You and I need to know the love of God and meditate on it and think about it and allow it to transform our lives. And, and we want to see what John has to say today as God's word speaks to us. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. We're going to stand and hear what God has to say about the significance of God's love for you and for me and, and what type of people we should be. First John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. I'll work all the way down to 16 if we have time this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Very important word. Because, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And God, may we do that today, Father. Father, we give thanks today that your son died for us. We give thanks today that he gave us life. We give thanks today that our lives have been made new. And Father, you have given us the ability now by your spirit to do what we ought to do. And that is love one another. Lord, if there's anyone before me that has not experienced your love today and has not placed their faith and trust in your son, Jesus, who gave himself for them, I pray that you would birth faith in their hearts today and grant them repentance, Lord, that they might turn to you and discover your amazing love. And Father, I pray for those of us who have, that God, we'd be real, we'd be authentic, that we would be the loving people of God and that this world would know it. 
and we would demonstrate it, Lord. And so, Lord, help our, our hard hearts at times, help our coldness, our apathy. God, change it today. Refine us, renew us, and make us zealous, Lord, to love you with our whole being, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, in John's epistles, as well as in the gospel, three times he makes these statements about the essence of God, the nature of God, in three different ways. Over in John chapter 4, his gospel, the first time he says something about the nature of God is recording what Jesus said to uh, the woman at the well. And there he said, God is spirit. You know the verse. And he desires that everyone worship him in spirit and truth, right? God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. He, 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 he's incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. He, he can fill all of heaven and earth because of that. If he had a body, he'd be limited in one place. Now, Jesus did put on humanity, but, but God is spirit. In the beginning of his epistle in 1 John chapter 1, John says, God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. When, when he's saying this, he's, he's saying that God is the opposite of darkness. And darkness stands for sin and evil and death. That's not who God is. Our God is holy. Our God is good. Our God is life. And here in 1 John chapter 4, the third thing he says about God is that God is love. And God is love. He is not love. Love isn't God God is love. God demonstrates love. It's his very nature to demonstrate this. And he does that among the Godhead. But praise God, he also did that to mankind. This letter is written so that you and I might not just know some things about who God is. Because here's the danger. If you go to the last verse of his epistle, there's a warning. Hey, children, protect yourself. Guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from, listen, worshiping something that really isn't God. And that is defining God in your own terms rather than in how God has revealed himself. And you need to understand, we need to understand that God is light and God is love. God is holy. Notice how he starts with that first. And he works to the, to the, towards the end of his epistle of God being love. That's how theology should flow. Now, what's amazing here is as John is writing this, he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's trying to remind them, listen, here's some tests. Here's some assurances that you can have that you truly are a born again believer, that you are you've been born again, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus, that that's happened in your life. There's a way that you and I can prove that we're authentic believers in Christ. And he has three different tests. One has to do with truth. One has to do with love. And, and those two things are really important, particularly because, you see, truth is what defines our boundaries. See, we believe the truth of God's word and what God says about himself. And so this truth that we believe is that God is light and God is love. Amen? And that the principles and precepts that the God of truth give us, we're supposed to obey them. And that our belief in the truth of God, is reflected by our behavior where we love as God has taught us to love. Why? Because God is love. You see, what we understand is this love, as John says here in verse 7 and 8, it originates with God. Two important truths that he says here, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows him. If you claim today that you've been born again and that you know God, you've come to know him through his son Jesus, then the truth is you and I should love one another. It, it, it's, the, it's the fruit, it's the evidence, that uh, the truth that we really know, the God who is love. 
He is the origin of it. He's the start of it. Why? Because God is love. It's no mystery here. God is, though he's incomprehensible uh, and, and we tread humbly here, what we do know is this. He is love and has demonstrated that love to you and to me. And God loves because it's his essence who he is. It's not mandated. He isn't obligated to do it. He does it selflessly. He does that sovereignly. He does that as a gift to you and to me. It's uninfluenced. In fact, when you look over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, at the way God dealt with his covenant people, Israel, it's fascinating what Moses wrote there when he told them about God's love for them as the covenant people. He says in Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, you can write this in the margin of the Bible, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. There was really nothing about them. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath that he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God loved the covenant people. God gave his word. He kept his word. And he demonstrated his love by bringing deliverance from bondage. Now, beloved, he's done that for us too. Amen. We were in bondage to sin. We needed God to deliver us. And with a mighty hand, actually with two mighty hands stretched out this far, he gave us deliverance and delivered us from the bondage of sin and demonstrated his love. Like the sun radiates its rays, God's love was radiated from him, not only to the covenant people there in Deuteronomy chapter 7, but to this world. It's what we celebrate as the covenant people here when we come to this table. We recognize that God is love and he has loved us. Now, God being loved means this is essential to who he is. All right? This is his essence. It, it, listen, love defines God's nature for you and for me. We, we learn these words at home. Mamas nurture this truth in the hearts of children that God is love. And I need to know this. You need to know this because let's just be honest. There's some experiences we go through in life that aren't that lovely. Amen. You may be going through them right now. You know what happened in that moment? This little imp will whisper in your ear at that moment. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you anymore. Look at what you've done. Look, you've backslidden. You can't, you can't get right with him. He doesn't love you anymore. And see, our minds, it's possible you'll believe that lie from the pit of hell. But the truth is this. God's love is an everlasting love. God is an eternal love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That love that emanates from him that comes to you and comes to me. As children, we, we need to learn that. And, and Because there's going to be days when, when there's difficulty. There's going to be days when there's sorrow. There's going to be days when there's affliction. Mama said there'd be days. Amen? There are. You know what God's word tells us? There's going to be days too. Days of difficulty. And I need to know that I know that I know my God is love. And because he's eternal, immutable, never changing, he's always going to be love. I need that as a rudder in life. The God who created all things demonstrates that time and time again. Especially with those people, Israel. Though they were his covenant people. Hey, did you know there was time when they shook their fist at him, rebelled against him, rejected him, didn't obey him? Mama taught us about those moments too. And she loved us with what was called a switch. Younger generation, that's not the light switch, okay? <laughs> Amen. No, no, no. It's not in the house. You go get it. It's outside the house. You got to get one. Amen. 
God had to use that even on his own people from time to time, right? Took them to the woodshed. Why? Because he loved them. In fact, even in the midst of, this, uh, of their great rebellion, when he exiled them, uh, Jeremiah the prophet wrote over in Jeremiah 31.3, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, my loving kindness, with it I have drawn you, wooed you to myself. You see, God's love is demonstrated even in his discipline, but even in the wooing us back, drawing us back to him, even when a covenant people are disobedient to him. As Hebrews would tell us in the, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, a father who loves his children does what? He disciplines them. Why? Because he wants their good. He wants them to experience goodness. And so because he loves them, he disciplines them to get them back. Amen? That's our father. And the amazing thing about God's love, it's beyond comprehension. Especially when you've been one of those rebels. Amen? When you've walked away like the prodigal son. And, and, and you've been out there in the slop, and you realize, wow, the light switch went off. Wow, my father, the servants have it better. And you run back. And you run back and say, oh, father, how I've sinned. And here he is running to us. It's amazing, amen? You see, that parable isn't about a prodigal son. It wasn't just one lost son. There was two lost sons, one in the house, one outside the house. One was totally uh, godless and wasn't living for uh, anything right. And the other one was in the house, but he was self-righteous, right? But they both needed a loving father to reach towards them. Praise God we've got one of them this morning, amen? That, that love originates with him. It starts with him. Now, the amazing thing is though it originates with God, any love you and I experience that's truly sacrificial, selfless, it comes from him. Listen, here's the amazing thing. It's observed. It's observed in Jesus, John says in verses 9 and 10. We see the manifestation of that love that's reaching towards you and me. Here's how John writes it. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. I underline that in my Bible. God made it known. He revealed it. What? That God sent his only begotten son, his special son, into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God manifested, he made known, he revealed, he didn't keep it hidden, he didn't keep it a secret. He showed this world and he showed us how great his love is by sending his son so that you and I might live. You say, oh, Pastor Chris, I'm alive right now. I'm not dead. Oh, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We need Christ. Listen, we need the gospel. We need to repent and place our faith and trust in Christ so that we can have new life and be born again. And God manifested, made this known, demonstrated it, not by giving us a baby, by giving us his son. His son is a sacrifice. The emphasis is not on the incarnation. The emphasis is on the crucifixion. That God gave him as a sacrifice, a substitute for you and for me and for our sin. And not just for us, but for the sins of the whole world. This big word right here, propitiation in verse 10, which has the idea of, of God's wrath that has to be taken. Someone has to pay that penalty and, and someone has to both appease that wrath of God and satisfy what's rightly required. Over in 1 John chapter 2, it's amazing that that advocate who's at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's the propitiation not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Pretty amazing. 
Pretty difficult verse for some theologies to understand and explain. But here's how I'll give you an understanding. Listen to this. People that go to hell, they don't go to hell for their sin. They go to hell for one sin, and that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, who is testifying and witnessing to their hearts, convicting them of sin because they have rejected the Son. John writes that over in his gospel. That's the sin that's unpardonable. When you reject the love of God that's been demonstrated for us and you don't receive and recognize and there's a righteousness you don't possess and the God of this world has been judged, that sin, that rejection is what sends people to hell. You're, you're spitting in God's face. You're not doing homage to the Son. You're rejecting the one who died for you. I hope you're not rejecting him today. You see that God is reaching towards us. He's reaching towards us and saying, repent, today's the day to put your faith and trust in me. Look at how great my love is towards you. Won't you turn and believe? He demonstrated us. What more does he have to do to demonstrate how much he loves us? Jesus, the only begotten son, the special one, the one, listen, he's not like you and me who are born again. He never was born in this way. He always has been the eternal son of God. But he came and died for you and for me. Now, what's fascinating when he talks about he being the propitiation for our sins and dying for us, this is understood, this love is understood in light of the truth that God is light, as it says over in 1 John chapter 1. That in him there's no darkness. He's holy and we're not. And because we're not, we need a sacrifice for sin. And God exercises his goodness toward us as individual sinners so that he can identify with us and our welfare and save us and help us to now experience and enjoy all the goodness that he has for us. You see, Paul would say over in Romans chapter 5 that God has poured forth this love into our hearts. He's flooded our lives with his great love. That while we were helpless, God sent his son to die for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says later in Romans chapter 8, what can separate you and me from this love? What can separate us? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death. Death just brings us right into the presence of the love of God each and every day for eternity. The amazing thing is, when you stop against this backdrop of God's holiness, of God's righteousness, of God's justice, of, of God's mercy and grace that we experience, and then you understand how great this love is that originated with Him, is observed in Jesus, and now comes and reaches you and me. Wow. And can it be? And can it be? That he would die for you and me and save us? Yeah, it's possible. And the thing is, you and I need to repent and put our faith and trust in him. And sometimes it's important just to pause and meditate and consider everything he has done for us. By the way, this would greatly help us when we grumble and complain, when we're discontent or have resentment, when we stop and think, well, he don't love me no more. Yes, he does. Those circumstances, those experiences, those trials that stretch our faith, that perfect our faith. You know what? God is actually trying to help us to look to him more, not less. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be depressed. In fact, listen, if you have half-heartedness today, or if you're indifferent towards God, or a cold heart, or a lack of serving him, you know what you need to check is the love thermometer in your heart. Why? Because you know what? You're not taking the events and circumstances captive to the knowledge of who God is. And the truth is this. God is love. And he loves us with an everlasting love. 
And I maybe need to bring those circumstances and lay them before him and say, Lord, help my unbelief right now. Help me to believe. Help me to trust. Help me to rest in this wonderful truth. Maybe I just need to memorize those verses and just write them on my mind and write them on my heart over and over again. What can separate me? What can separate me? What can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And remind myself of that because I tell you, the devil would love nothing more for you to stop looking to the love of God and resting in him. I can't, listen, if my heart today is loving something other than God, that's called an idol. And that's why John would say at the end of his epistle, guard yourself against that. Make sure you truly know who God is and what he's like so that you love him and not something. Your affection, my affection, according to the greatest commandment, is supposed to be what? To love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. My whole being is to love God. And I should when I realize it all originates with him and it's seen in the cross of Christ and what Jesus did for you and for me. And I, sometimes it's healthy to get on the altar and just say, God, there are things that I'm loving more than you. Forgive me. Change my heart. I repent, God. I want, uh, Lord, I want to be perfected in my faith. And, and John is laying this out before us because these are tests to know. Listen, do you know that love originates with God? Do you know that this morning? Do you know that it's been observed in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross? Because if those two things are true, then the third should be true as well. And that is this. Love should be obvious to others in your life. Now notice what he says. And this is all throughout this epistle. It's really convicting. It really stomps on your toes sometimes. But listen to what he says. Beloved. That means you've been loved. Amen. By God. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one who has seen God, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Here's the other bookend of verse 8. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You see, if you confess today that you know God is love and that you know Jesus is the demonstration of that love and that love has reached you, then you and I ought to... Love one another. That love should be in my heart. That love should be in your heart. That love should be shown to others around us. In fact, all throughout this epistle, John is saying that over and over and over again. By the way, it's not just because who God is. Over in chapter 2, he'll say this is the the commandment that we have. It's not really a new commandment. It's the old commandment. And, And the commandment is this, love God. And by the way, love one another as yourself. That's what the whole law hinges on. We're commanded to love. Why? Because God is love. And God has demonstrated his love toward us. And so your life and my life, I should be able to put a mirror before myself. Am I loving? Is it obvious to others that I'm doing what I ought to do? Loving one another. I'm not holding something against a brother or sister. I'm willing to forgive them. You know what? I've been forgiven much in God's love for me. I'm not lording that over their head. Making them jump through a bunch of hoops before I love them. Right? No, no, no. There's no conditions on that. Right? I love because it's who God is and his spirit dwells within me. I mean, did you see how many times it said abide, 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 abide? Within him, within him, us in him, him and us. 
Over and over again, just this picture that if I really am authentic, if I really am a child of God, if I really have been transformed, then God's love is in me and God's, I'm in God and that love flows in me, through me, out of me. To brothers and sisters around me. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said? What did Jesus say over in John chapter 13, verse 35? You can write that in the margin, 1335. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, listen, church, we're, we have a great vision from God. It's going to take 20 years to do, so don't try to do it in two, okay? Although I want to, all right? But it's going to take time, and God's given us that vision. Well, here's the amazing thing. No matter how many buildings we build, that's not how we demonstrate to this world who God is and what he's like. Listen, it doesn't matter how many people we feed with chicken. It doesn't matter how many things we give away. You know what does demonstrate to the world that we're authentic to people of God? Our love. Our love to one another. Now, those things are nice to do too, but the primary thing is, do I love my brother and sister in Christ as I ought to? Because I ought to do that. It ought to be real in me, real in you. We ought to demonstrate that, flesh out our faith and demonstrate to the world around us. That's our greatest testimony. It's proof that we've been regenerated. It's proof that you've passed from life to death. Look over at chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Listen, it should be obvious to one another, not only that we believe love originates with him and it's observed in Jesus, but it's, it's obvious to others. You know why? How can you say you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, John would say. I mean, it should be real. Is it real this morning in your heart? Is it real in your life? Is it evident to others? Do I love my brother and sister, even the ones that speak ill of me? Right? Do I, do I love them? Do I forgive them? Do, do I love ones even when I've been treated unjustly? Can I still love? Because I tell you, my flesh, I'll just be honest, I can't always. It's good for the preacher, it's good for you, amen? To be honest, we don't always. But now God's, God's given us His Spirit. His Spirit abides in us. What's the fruit of the Spirit? The first one, love. God enables us to love. Even to love the unlovely, because you know what? We were unlovely to Him. Amen? So tell me you can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. God does it in you and through you. And he perfects our faith. He perfects it in the midst of that and refines us. Now what's important for that to happen is you have to be a part of the family of faith. You have to identify with the body of faith. It makes commitment. Something our culture doesn't like today, right? I I don't want to be committed in a marriage and I don't want to be committed to a church and I don't want to be committed to anything anymore, right? But it's important to be a part of the family of faith, to identify with those who've drawn their boundaries around truth. Truth draws our boundaries for us. And we stand here and say, thus says the word of God. That's it. It's true. And within those boundaries, as the family of faith, now this is how we behave. We all believe the same thing, and we behave in this way. We love one another. And that means identifying with one another around truth and being involved with one another and and bringing that truth to a world of lies that is all around us because they desperately need to hear it. You see, our God is the origin of truth, and we've observed it in Christ. But is it obvious to others around us that we really are Christ's disciples? I mean, this isn't for me to point my finger at you and you to point your finger at me. This is us to look in the mirror of God's word and say, is this my heart this morning? Am I real? 
Am I, am I just going through the motions being religious? Am I really an authentic child of God? Have I experienced his love? And do I love my new family of faith? My brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of who our father is. And what his son has done. And now his spirit dwells within us. To enable us to love this way. Here's what's serious. I told you. This was written to the church in Ephesus. Where John was the pastor. It's where Paul told them and wrote to them in Ephesians. Hey listen. I hope you can know the height, the width, the depth, the length of God's love. It's, it's, it's beyond knowledge. But I hope you can know just a little drop of it. To that church. You know what's scary? Is what you read over in the book of Revelation. When the letters were written to seven churches, Ephesus was like the hub church, right? It was the mega church, or I guess you'd say kind of in that day, right? And it was the hub church. It was a huge port city, so it just makes sense it had a, a large congregation. But, but what's scary is, is everything that they were doing, God had something against them. You know what it is? You've fallen from your first love. God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. May that never be the case. Here's the amazing thing though. If we have fallen our first love, there's still grace and mercy today. If you'll come to him. Because he loves us. He wants us to acknowledge that to him. He told them, he tells the same thing to you and me today. If our love's cold and indifferent this morning, if I'm not forgiving some brother or sister, I'm holding something against them. Or Listen, I'll tell you what. I've left another church. I'm here at South River Baptist Church. But I'm holding something against someone else still up there. You carry that with you all your life. And it'll affect, not them, it'll affect your heart and your relationships with others. Listen, the word that he spoke to that church in Ephesus, in Revelation, is the word he speaks to you and me today. Ready? Here it is. Ready? Repent. That means turn. Turn away and turn towards. Turn away from sin and self and all of that junk and turn towards Him. And experience forgiveness. And that's the invitation today. Do you need to take a step of faith today and say, God, that's me. I'm humble enough to acknowledge it. And Lord, I'm walking out these doors today different. Realizing how great your love is that you've shown me. Wanting my faith to be real and authentic.